him, to fellowship with him, to just have him be in his presence. That was God's plan from the beginning. I love that plan because there's nowhere else I'd rather be than in God's presence. Then, there was a choice between following what the serpent says and following what Jesus called you. And what God called him to do and they chose wrong. I want you to remember that whenever the one who actually heard God's word was Adam, he shared it with Eve. The serpent knew exactly where to go. The serpent always knows how to manipulate us. He knows how to get us to fall. And I just want you to remember that. Because that's important to know because he will go after the weakness. I'm not saying Eve was weak, but the command actually came to Adam. He heard directly from God. And when you hear directly from God, it's a little bit harder to stumble, even though he was there and turned a blind eye to what was going on. But they sinned in that moment. We were separated immediately from the presence of God. Throughout time after that, they would sacrifice. Brandon, will you shut that door for them so it's not loud in there for them? Thank you, buddy. Uh, so from that time period, there was a sacrificial uh, system set up for those who believed in the Messiah that was coming, that would save them. There was a sacrificial system put up that they could sacrifice for the sins that they committed, but it was an animal dying, not them. God told us from our sin we should die. So he allowed us to have a sacrificial system to cover our sins temporarily, and we would just send people so in his love and mercy, Jesus still blows my mind how you would be in, the, in heaven, in God's presence. If you've ever been fully in God's presence, like in a time flow, I've never been fully, but when you're overwhelmed in God's presence, you don't want to leave. Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to step down from you. I'm going to go live on the earth. I'm going to be born the way they were born, even though his father was from heaven. He said, I'm going to be born on the earth. I'm going to live a life these people. I'm going to suffer for them. I'm going to go through everything for them. I'm going to live the way they would have left. He became poor. He believed his father died at a young age, Joseph. And he lived a perfect, blameless life for us here on earth. I don't know about you. I'm trying to get away from earth. Come here to live for us. He lived for us. gave his whole entire life for us. He was abused. He suffered. He uh, was ridiculed. And I want you to remember, he did it. He allowed that to happen. Because Scripture tells us all these great miracles he did, but it also tells us that if you put all the miracles he did into books, all the books of the world wouldn't be able to contain them. So I would like to just get a little glimpse of what was happening every day in his life. we just get a little bit. He said it wouldn't contain all that he did. And he lived this life, and then he allowed them murder him. Put him on a cross. He was crucified for us. Jesus did that for us because no sacrificial lamb, no, no bird, no anything could cover the sin of man because man was different. And Jesus took our sins because he was the only one that could do it. He dies. A brutal death and he goes to hell. We've all been in times of our life where we felt like it was hell. You think about the most miserable time, he went to far worse than that. He went to the deepest parts of hell. And I would imagine at this point in time, all the demons, all the people in hell that were placed in the worst part of hell, not Abraham's bosom, which, which the saints went to, but the bad parts of hell, I'd imagine all of them thought, we're about to get ours on. So he walks in, and Jesus still in all authority. And I'd imagine in that moment, everybody realized, uh-oh, we messed up. We messed up, because he's still in charge. Jesus takes the gates, of, the keys of the gates of hell. He opens it up, and the saints come out. The saints come out. Now, is that not exciting? Like David, Moses, everybody comes out of Abraham's bosom. They're walking in Jerusalem. People have seen him, seen them there. they actually seen this. There's eyewitnesses to say they were walking. There's other writings other than the Bible that claim that. Then Jesus comes to a point where it's time, after revealing himself to the apostles and the disciples, he goes into heaven. He ascends into heaven. 
and he tells us to wait for the one who's going to do far better and far more than he did. It's good enough that it would be cover every book, more than all the books in the world can contain, he did. Jesus said, there's one who's coming who's going to do better and more. He told him to wait, and we know only like 250 people waited. Everybody else left. But because Jesus did that, we now have the promise that when we repent of our sins, we know because Jesus did that, we have the promise of eternal life. But the most important thing about what Jesus did was he restored the union between us and God. He restored that fellowship. That's not just a fellowship that we have. You know, Pastor Chad spoke about we need to be excited for the end times last week. That's when I knew this was the right message first. And it, uh, we should be so ready for the end, end of time to come, for that day when he comes. But even now, even now we are, we, we are had that relationship with him restored and we get to be in his presence. We get to walk with him daily. Not fully because our flesh would not be able to handle that. We are walking. That is good news. We were created to be with him and he made a way for us to be with him. When we couldn't do it. Because if you're like me, everything you've ever done on your own deserved the hottest parts of hell that Jesus got sent to. Everything you did on your own. Now you may have done some good stuff in your life that God got you through, but you still didn't do that. God did So we need to understand there's good news. We need to understand what God did for us, right? We need to know. Jesus lived for us. He made the way. Uh, so I'm going to pray, because that's just how we have to understand that before we understand the rest of what God's going to speak to us today. Uh, so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God to speak to us. Because, uh, I have some scriptures here, but I'm not sure how he's going to lay it out, but I know he's got a plan, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, first and foremost, I thank you, Lord, for, uh, for your good news, for your gospel. I thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, Lord. I pray, Lord, that if anybody in here does not know the good news or accept it in their lives, that today would be the day they would do that. I pray, Father God, if any of us are not living as if we received the good news, that today you would reveal that to us, Lord. And I pray right now, God. I pray right now that you would get me out of your way, Lord. You just speak to our hearts and each of us, Lord, to be changed by what you're going to speak, not by what I speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'll just let you know, if you're offended by anything I say today, it's either because I got in God's way, or you just didn't want to hear what God said. So uh, you'll talk to me afterwards. Pastor Chad will be back next week. So, uh, we, can, we can converse about it. So, um, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, and then we're going to move into 2 Timothy 3. So, it's going to be real easy to follow along. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 2. We're going to start in verse 8, and uh, this is Paul speaking. And Paul, uh, we all know Paul went through a lot. So it says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended, uh, descended from David, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. You know Paul's life? None of us has ever suffered the way Paul suffered. Paul had been beaten with the lashes many a time. Paul was in prison many a times. Paul had been stoned to death, Chad loves to say, to be raised up and preaching. I mean, he was not going to let him get him down. He... You know, he was imprisoned over and over, shipwrecked, I mean, bitten by a snake, you name it. Paul had it done. And he endured it. He went through it. He says, suffering to the point of being chained like a criminal. Uh, but God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is Christ Jesus with eternal glory. But he's saying there's good news, there's gospel. He understood Everything I started out with, he understood that. He understood that he had the eternal life. Paul was killing people. He was killing Christians. He was trying to hold down the word of God. And he said, hey, the word of God is alive. And I'm going to suffer. He was willing to go through everything for the word of God because of the elect. 
You may be sitting here today and saying, I'm the elect and you are the elect. But a lot of the elect have not even heard the gospel. They were chosen. God knew they would accept him, but somebody hasn't rebuilt it to them. So he's suffering for those that God chose that needed to hear about the gospel. He's going through it all. There's one point in time, there's a group of about 19,000 that he knew that everybody knew that if he went in, he'd be killed and he was going to go in and preach anyway. The apostles had to understand and say, hey, whoa, 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 don't do that. But all he wanted to do was share the gospel. He That's what he's talking about. I will suffer. So those who are selected, those who are going to be saved, will hear the gospel and will be saved. He was not greedy. He was not selfish. He wanted everybody to know this message because God revealed it to him personally. Right? And he wanted everybody to know what was going on. I love that. If we believe in the good news. We want everybody to know it. But also, we're not scared because good news tells us what our end goal is. It tells us what we have going on. And we also know his authority, right? We know he has power. We know he has authority. You know, we sung a lot about it today. Uh, then it goes on and says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. He said, uh, no greater love is there than a man would lay down his life for another. Jesus did that. He laid down his perfect life for us and came and lived here on earth, which I don't think any of us would do. You know, I think about Pastor Rod sometimes. People are like, I wish I was still here. I'm thinking, he, he doesn't. He wouldn't give up what he has right now to come back for anything. I wouldn't. If I had that opportunity, love y'all, but I'm staying. Jesus did. He loved us enough that he did. He came here and lived for us, right? So we're called to do the same. We're called to give up what our our lives. When we get saved, part of part of being saved means you are walking this away. You hear the good news and you repent. It's a military term, and you do an about face and you go the other way, right? So if we're living, if we're actually giving up this life then we should be heading to this life. We should be living over here. No longer where we were, right? He said, so if we're giving up our lives, if we died with him, we will also live with him. Right? If we died to this world, we will live in a new world. We should be living that away now, he says. If we endure, as I said, Paul endured. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Now, oftentimes, we think this just means, like, man, if I make it through this life, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be over here in heaven. But that ain't all that means. That means if you can put up with the persecution here on earth, if you can put up with this life and you live as if you're with Christ, you're already reigning with Him. We're already saints. We're already, we're already called to be kings. We're already called to be better than we were before. We're going to reign with Him at this moment. We should be leading people to Him and reigning with him at this moment. We're not perfect. You're going to struggle. But we should be living a life that is reigning with him. Okay? Then he goes on and he says, if we disown him, he will also disown us. I always hate that. Because if you truly understand that, it doesn't mean you're going out telling people, like, I don't follow Jesus. It means when your life is disowned. You're living it in a way as if you don't have Christ. He's going to live as a way as if he don't have you. Sometimes we think things like, man, I love Jesus, I'll go be with Jesus, but right now I'm going to go be away from him. And then we're going to turn high one day and he's going to be like, hey, uh, he didn't want to be with me. He wants us to be all in. We're being completely. He said live with him, not sometimes. Right? The good news is not that that, that we can still take part in the old life and the new life, it is that we would leave the old life join the new life. We'd be complete fellowship. So the way we live our lives should be as if we're in complete fellowship with Jesus, as if we're walking in the garden with him perfectly and choosing him every time. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And that sometimes can be a little bit confusing, and it's what he's saying is, is if we live by his and we follow him, we're good, but whenever we disown that, when we're not faithful to his word and we're not faithful to him, 
He cannot disown himself. He cannot disown his word and go along with where we're at. Because he cannot disown himself. He's got to follow what his word said. He has to. He cannot contradict himself. If he was to go with us and give in to what we are doing and allow us to live the life that we're living, and he was okay with that, then there's no salvation. His plan was always wrong. His word was wrong. And if his word is ever wrong, we don't have much of a God. His word cannot be wrong. And he's going to live as if his word is right. And what he said is true. Because he's got everything he says is true. He's never been wrong once, and he won't start now. Uh, so now we're going to move into 2 Timothy 3. And, uh, man, it's a long, it's, it, this could be a while here, but I'm going to try to move this one pretty quick too. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last day. The last days, a lot of people will always wonder if that means like right before Jesus comes or what. Oftentimes, uh, theologians believe the last days are from the time Jesus resurrected to the time he'll return. And then some people believe it's right before the time, and then some people believe other things. All I know is by the way this is worded, it looks like we're in the last days now. I'm not positive, but we're going to live if, if it's the last days because we're going to eventually die, so it's definitely our last days. So we're going to live like that, right? We're going to live as if it's the last days because, as Pastor Chad said last week, we need to live as if we're ready, right? So we need to live as if we're in the last days. And it said, uh, people will be lovers of themselves. That's a... Uh, It's okay to love yourself, sort of, but it's whenever your life is devoted to yourself. Whenever your First Corinthians 13 is all about you. Like, you're all about, I'm going to take care of myself, I'm going to sacrifice for myself. I'm, you know, oftentimes we hear in, uh, in psychology and, and sociology and in schools and things, the reason why people are the way they are is because they never knew love. Therefore, they have to learn to love themselves and once they learn to love themselves, they can move forward. They can, they can actually be happy. Half of that's true. A lot of people don't know love because they don't know Jesus Christ. They've never felt the truth of love of Jesus Christ. They don't know the gospel. And when we know the gospel, we know we are loved, we're able to now share that love with others. That's why our world's where it's at. It's not because we're not loving ourselves enough. It's probably because we love ourselves too much. And we want our own way, and we've allowed ourselves to become our own gods. Or, we're following a false god, we're following a Christ we want to follow instead of the one true Christ. Still coming back to you, wanting your own way. Uh, it says they will be lovers of money. I don't have to explain that one. They will be boastful. They will be very boastful in what they do. I think we see that more now than we ever have in all of history. I remember as a kid, when somebody did something wrong, they would try to hide it. They wouldn't want people to know it. When they were living a life of sin, it was not out in the open. But now when people live a life of sin, they're, they're up front about it. Like, who are you to tell me different? God said, love everybody. That's, that's scripture taken out of context. We boast about it. That's what happens. People boast about their sins now. It says they are proud. We hear it all the time. Pride. Pride. Pride this. Pride that. Everybody is proud of what they're doing. There's so much pride. Even amongst Christians, there's so much pride. You can tell if you're a proud Christian that whenever you're talking to somebody, if you get angry about your point of view, you've now done taking too much pride in what you have to say instead of sharing what God has to say. We have to be careful of these We're in this time period. Said, uh, they will be abusive, disobedient to their parents. We see this. They will be ungrateful. You know what you're thinking? Like, no, I got that one. I'm not ungrateful. But think about the next time something goes wrong and you're all mad about it. Yet you have the good news. You forget you have reasons to be grateful. And instead, you're sitting around it. Our gratefulness runs out real quick sometimes. We've got to be careful on these things. These are the ways God's called us to live. Unholy. 
Now, I want to talk about unholy real quick because this is very important. We talk about this at prayer group often that uh, in today's day and age, we see more than ever that there's a line drawn down the middle. We see this. There's a line drawn down the middle. We have non-Christians over here and we have Christians over here. Right? God's over here. You're holy, sanctified, you're set apart, you're living for Christ. You're unholy, you're unsanctified, you're unset apart, you're living over here. Right? We're going to get into this a little bit more as we go here in a minute, but but if we're sanctified, we're not just right here either. Right? Because then you're trying to have the uh, pleasures of the world, you're trying to get a little bit of both. But if you're actually sanctified, you're set apart, you're over here. You're going to be living with Christ. You're not going to want to be close to that over there because when you're over here, you're still a little bit caught up with what's going on there. You're still influenced by that over there, right? You're still, you're sanctified. You're completely set apart. You're not just somewhat set apart. You can't just be a little bit holy. You either are or you're not. You're either completely pure or you're not pure. There's no in-between. There's no like, yeah, sometimes I feel holy. Yeah. Either are or you're not. There's no, there's no flirting with that. There's no standing in that middle ground or even close to it. Be all the way in or all the way out. That's that whole lukewarm thing he's talking about when he spit you out of his mouth for being lukewarm. We're either sanctified, we're either holy, or we're not. We need to be holy. He called us to be holy. So they will be without love. This is very interesting because for a long time I thought without love just meant that we didn't love like 1 Corinthians, but if you really look at what this is saying here and you look at the uh, translations in this, Amplified does a good job of this. It actually says we will be without family unity, without family love. Uh, even theologians from years ago understood that this meant that, that close to the end times, uh, fathers will abandon families, mothers will abandon children, and there will be no loves in the home. There will be no love in the home. We see that more now than we ever have in all of history. There's no love in the home. And that's what this is talking about, without love. You can't love your husband or your wife. You can't love your children. That's without love. Without love. And we also know that God is love, and we have a lot less homes that actually have God in them. More people act like Christ here than in their own homes where they should be acting most like Christ. We, we need to live as if we're not without love. It says, uh, they will be unforgiving. I always, uh, always find it interesting when you talk to people about not forgiving somebody. You're like, oh, you haven't forgiven that person. They're like, oh, I forgave them a long time ago. You're like, then why do you get bitter every time you think about it? Pastor Rod always did a good job of explaining whether you forgave somebody or not. He said, the way you know if you've completely forgiven somebody is if they can cross through your mind safely. If they can cross through your mind safely. Margie offends me. I forgave her. But somebody brings her up and I'm like, oh. And I have not forgiven. I may think I have, but I have. Or if somebody brings her up and I'm not upset, but when she comes in, I want to be I don't even want to be around her. I still haven't forgiven. There's a difference in not trusting, not forgiving. I can always be on guard, but I still have to love her. Not that Margie ever did anything. I don't think she has that capability. Uh, okay. Uh, slanderous. We have a time period right now where there's slander everywhere. We have uh, without self-control. No, isn't that... What do you hear all the time? I can't help it. It's who I am. I have no control over that. It's a lot. Christians say it all the time. I, I couldn't control it. I have no self-control. I couldn't help it. You could help it. Good, because the Bible tells you. Which is leading to a whole different part here in a minute. It says, uh, brutal. Now, I can be brutally honest, but I'm not brutal to the point that I want to hurt people. There's a difference in that, it, uh, which probably sometimes I am too brutal. Brutal. Not lovers of the good. It says treacherous, which means deceiving. It means we're one thing on the outside, but underneath we're actually wanting to harm people. It said uh, rash, 
were quick on that, conceited, full of themselves. Mike kind of talked of that earlier. Uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. These all are going to cover, I don't want to do this next one, we're going to cover this pretty quickly. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. It says have nothing to do with these people. So I want to, I want to all the way from lovers of pleasure to uh, rather than lovers of God, God's power. It's, it's very important because sometimes we think uh, we love God more than pleasure, but you have... Uh, this is how I always judge this. God's called me to do something, and I go do something else other than what God's called me to do. I probably love pleasure more than I love God. If ever God told me to be somewhere and I go somewhere else, I probably love that a little more than God. Anytime I'm not doing what I felt like God called me to do, I have now loved something other than God. I'm not in His will. I'm not doing that, right? And then you have the having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's these people that are right here near this line. They're like right over here, right? And uh, we know this is, this is kind of a way you can often sometimes feel this. I don't want you to go overboard with what I'm going to say here too much, but I want to read the fruit of the Spirit to you real quick. It says, uh, it says the fruits of the Spirit is love, peace, Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things are no law. Uh, Josh taught a few weeks ago on these very things, talking about how if we have the Holy Spirit in us, these things are inside of us. If we're not seeing these things, we're love, joy, peace, forbearance, forgiveness, or kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. If we're not seeing these things, there's something causing a problem that they're not coming out of. And as we're standing here, and we have a form of godliness, but we're kind of on the edge, you will never feel these. You may ever so often feel it when you're close to the people who are over here, but it will not be permanent in your life. You will not have the fruits of your spirit in your life because God's not going to bless somebody who's on the side. The Holy Spirit cannot live on the edge. The Holy Spirit's going to live for those who are all in. The Holy Spirit's going to move in that area, right? Now, it uh, in this very thought process of denying His power, you know, it's uh, you may have a form of godliness to deny His power, and where that comes into play is whenever you start going through stuff, or whenever uh, life starts throwing you struggles. And it's when you're getting closer to over here and you're like, man, people just don't understand how how hard I have it. Or you're over here and you're like, man, like, I lost my job. Or you're like, I, uh, man, I just don't have money to pay my bills. Like, man, I got this sickness. People don't get how bad and sick I am. I don't know what to do. And you start getting closer and closer over here and you're trying to pray, but there's no power in your prayer. Because now you've given more power to the things you're going through. You've given, oftentimes you hear people speak more like, they, they make their, their struggles bigger than their God. That's having some form of godliness because you look like you're doing right, yet you're not giving any power to God. That is what that is. That's what it's speaking of. Or, when you're acting like the world and you're, you're complaining and you're, you're like, I don't like that. This, that, no. well, that ain't, that's, that's slander. That's all these things we talked about before. But if we're going to see the power of God, we're going to be over here and be like, like, I lost my job, but you know what? God's got a plan. Tell them something. And then you're going to be like, man, uh, everybody just keeps hating on people. Man, they're treating me horrible. You know what? I know God's doing something. I'm going to stay close to God. They're going to see that God's God. Or you're thinking something like, uh, man, I just love, lost so many loved ones lately. I don't know what to do, but I'm glad they're with God. I'm glad they're with Jesus. I'm glad he's going to use And there starts being power with everything you go through. You're handing it over to Jesus. There's power in the fact that you're over here more in his presence, and people get to see that. 
I want you to understand, people are always watching you, and they get to see if you're giving God the power or if you're living as if God has no power. Whenever we're going through struggles and we don't, we're not believing God to take care of things, we've now made him without power. We've taken the power out of his hand. Because none of us know what's going to happen today, tomorrow. Right now as I'm speaking, Jesus can come back or I can get struck by lightning or other crazy things. I don't know what's going to happen. But I can give all the power to Jesus and I can live as if he's got a great plan no matter what goes on in my life, right? And that, that's what he's talking about in this. Uh, then if we go down to, chat, or to verse 10 there in, in uh, 2 Timothy 3, it says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my, lo- uh, my faith, patience, love, and endurance. You know all about it. You know what he's went through. That's what he's telling you. You guys know everything I've been through. You know who I am. Uh, he said, my persecutions, my sufferings. And uh, I was talking to Bob about this the other day. Oftentimes we get confused uh, of sufferings and persecutions, of consequences, and struggles of life. Oftentimes we think that uh, we're being persecuted whenever our car dies. Or, you know, we think we're suffering whenever we're uh, sitting in heat. Or we're, we're having something. We often think that, that everything's a, a struggle for God. Oftentimes it's because we did something stupid or paying a consequence. There's a difference. Suffering for God's like whenever you've done something for the Lord and then somebody's attacking you. Or whenever you're trying to get to that place that God has you to and something keeps trying to get in the way. That's what Paul Paul wasn't out suffering because he did a lot of dumb things and fighting. He was trying to keep, you know, that he's, he wasn't out, uh, I don't know, he wasn't out getting drunk, waking up with a hangover and missing work. That's not persecution, that's not the suffering, that's nothing he's talking about. You've got to be careful to understand some things we cause, some things are trying to hold us back. You've got to understand them. It, uh, did you know the, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch? Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. He endured them. It's back to that. We endure and we'll reign with him. He endured and he was reigning. He was reigning with Christ. He was bringing people into the kingdom. He was helping build the kingdom. And people saw a great leader in him and they were following him. To the point that today we still follow what he said because he endured if he didn't endure, we would not have, nobody would care what he said. That's a true statement. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. You no, know, he went through far more than we go through, and the Lord rescued him from all of them. He said, uh, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Good to know, ain't it? If I want to live way over here, there's going to be persecution. If you haven't ever seen persecution, you're probably not living over here. But we know if we are living a godly life in Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. Therefore, don't be so shocked when it happens. Therefore, don't give up when it happens. We're told of that. He told us right before that that God got him through everything he went through. There's power. There's power. And said, uh, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we're over here getting under attack, and these people are being deceived, and they're trying to deceive us. And it's really easy that if you're right here and these people are trying to deceive you, it's real quick, easy to be like, you know what, maybe they're right. Maybe they know something I don't know. How many times have you ever uh, heard somebody give a good argument for a sin that you know is wrong and you're like, maybe they're right. Because they're deceived and they're trying to deceive you. But we need to be closer to over here to where we know for sure, nope, I don't care what they say, this is right. This is right. But uh, 
But as for you, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, faith in Christ Jesus. You know who you've learned things from. First off, you should be reading your Bible and learning stuff also. But I know that if Randy comes to me and he says, hey, this is what this is. I know Randy. I know he's a godly man. I know he's somebody I can trust. And I know that if I've learned something from him, God, but I'm also going to check it with Scripture. I know that if Mike comes to me and says something, I can trust him. I know if Ann tells me something, I can trust that because I know where their hearts are. I know who they are. But whenever somebody who's not close to you says something, don't grab a hold of that. Don't grab a hold of that. And if you're curious about it, go to one of those people that you do trust. Right? We know who we've learned our stuff from. We know. We know when Pastor Chad gets up here, we feel that it's led by the Holy Spirit. We know we can hold on to that. We know because it was inspired by God. And anything that comes from the Lord... We can hold on to. We know where it came from. We should live with that. We can live with that whole thought process and not be deceived. Because it's easy to be deceived if we're not paying attention to who's saying. And our news, our news always have people say something that's tied up with what we're told by the Bible and our leaders. It says, uh, And it goes on to tell us that uh, all Scripture was God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I know this is a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things you're not supposed to do that we always talk about in Scripture, but that's why first I started out with the good news. Oftentimes you get the negative and then the good news. I started out with the good news so we know where we're going with this. But I just want to... Uh, here in a minute we're going to go into 2 Kings 6, but it, uh, I just want us to always understand there is a big importance of where that divide is, where we're living. Because oftentimes we can look at the way the world is, and uh, in this world you hear us all the time. You hear parents say it, you hear uh, everybody say this life is unfair. Life's not fair. So you see this person over here, you know, and they get a promotion, and you thought you deserved it. And you're like, that's not fair. I worked harder than them. I did better. It's fair. It is fair because the person who promoted them had that decision, and they made their decision. If you wanted to make that decision, you should have been in their place. But then we see this person over here. They uh, they get a raise, or this person over here gets a new car, and they get a, uh, I don't know, they're, they're living however they want to. They can drink and party and do whatever they want. It seems like nothing ever happens. Right? And we're like, it's unfair. Why do they always get blessed with everything and I don't? Why do they get blessed? We, keep people, we see people who are closer to this end often getting things we thought we deserved. And it's not fair. It's not fair. But they're getting worldly things that are going to collapse. They're going to wipe away. They're not... They're not for us. Instead, if you're over here, like if you're close to this edge, all that is unfair. Because you want that as much as you want this over here. Right? All, too often we want the stuff of the world as much as we want God and what He's doing. Far too often. That's when life seems unfair to us is whenever we want this just as much as over here and we're not getting it. But, as we get over here a little bit more, and we're like, oh, that person got promoted, and we're like, man, congratulations. I'm glad you got that promotion. And then you're like, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but I'm trusting. And then we come over here, and we're like, man, my cable just got shut off. And you're like, oh, man, cable, internet, everything. My cable just got shut off. But you know what, God, I trust you. I probably didn't need it anyway. Now I can spend more time with you. Right? And then, and then you're over here, and you're like, now I don't have a car. You know what? I'm going to get in shape. 
I'm going to walk around and I'm going to spread the gospel everywhere I go. Instead of worrying about this guy over here having 17 cars and he don't even go anywhere. Because our, 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 our eyes shouldn't be over there anyway. Our eyes are only over there when we're close to that edge of what's going on. But if we're over here, our eyes are over here. God, what are you doing? What are you doing, God? And then we get over here a little bit more. And you want to know what? Life is unfair. I will tell you that 100%. Life is so unfair. There's a saying that Dave Brandon uses over and over that I love. It's why life is unfair. It's not because those people over there. Their life is fair. They're getting everything they deserve. We're not. We're not getting everything we deserve. God has made a union for us to be back with Him, fellowship with Him, but all we deserve is the hottest pits of hell. Life is unfair because Jesus had to come and die for us. If life was fair, we would be over there. But life's not fair. We need to live as if life's not fair. Those poor people over there are getting what they deserve, and we're not. I am blessed because life is unfair. I am blessed because Jesus died for me and he didn't have to. That is unfair. It really is. Jesus shouldn't have had to do what he did, but he did it because I'm an idiot. True. I'm an idiot. I did a lot of dumb things I thought were right, and I should have been over there. I had a lot of blessings of this world before I got saved. And I was still going where was fair for me. Then when I accepted Jesus and that good news, it was unfair. It now became unfair. Life is unfair not because of other people getting stuff. Life is unfair because we're not getting what we deserve. That's what's not fair. We can't focus on what's happening in this world. It's all going to waste away. None of it matters. Money doesn't matter. You know, nobody died and been like, man, I should have made more money. Nobody died and said, man, if I would have had this money, it would have been awesome. Life would have been great. Instead, most people tell you that, that people who are dying and are saved, they'll tell you there's so much joy in our hearts whenever their time comes to the end. But people who look like they should be happy, they're going to a place of torment, they look miserable when they die. Because they're getting what they deserve, and we're not. The thing is, we need to share with the people who are getting what they deserve and show them how unfair life can be. It can be unfair. You can no longer be miserable, because that's what all this does. It leads you deeper and deeper in your misery as you get over here. You get closer and closer to this edge and further and further from God, you get more and more into misery. That's why you see celebrities killing themselves all the time, even though they look like they have everything, because they have nothing. They don't have Jesus. And then you see poor people in Haiti have an earthquake, lose everything they have, and they're rejoicing because they still have God. Makes sense to me. Uh, so, we talked a lot about what not to do, and how we should be over there and not here. But sometimes it's really hard to get from this point in here, right in this area, to over there. You're, you know, you get to the point where you're like, if I could be over there, I would. If I could stop complaining, I would. If I could live like that, I would. But that's not how I work. So we're going to talk about that real quick. And I want to go to 2 Kings uh, 6. We're going to be in verse 8. And uh, this is going to be about Elisha. Give you a quick rundown of Elisha. Elisha came, and uh, all Elisha wanted to do was be ten times more successful than Elijah. Something like that. He wanted to be the greatest prophet for the Lord. He wanted to serve the Lord better than anybody's ever served the Lord. That's what he wanted. Huh? Double portion. No, double portion. I don't. Here's what I'm going to say. His heart was completely on God. Right? That's what Elijah. He wanted that blessing. And when you read the scripture sometimes, when it's like, God, give me a double portion of what you gave Elijah, it sounds like it's almost uh, arrogant. It's like almost cocky, but it's not. He wanted twice as much of God as Elijah. And if you ever read about Elijah, he had a lot of God. Like He did things that you're looking at, you're like, I would have never done Elijah said, I want to do twice what I would have never done. I want it twice. And that's the way Elijah lived. He, he lived a life that you know, was just to, to please God, right? And then we're at this point in uh, 
In verse 8, it says, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such place. The man of God sent word, which is Elisha, to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place and indicated to the man of, by the man of God, time and again, Elijah warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. So here you have this king, uh, the king of Aram, who's sitting by and he's getting all these ideas of how he's going to attack Israel. And every time he gets this great idea of how he's going to attack Israel, God shows Elijah how he's going to do it. Elijah goes to the king of Israel and he said, Hey, be on guard over here. They're coming over here. Now be on guard over here. They're coming over here. And then he's over here and he's like, Be on guard over here. I don't know about you, but if somebody who's that big of a nuisance, I'd want them dead. And he said, uh, It goes on and it says, this enraged the king of Aram, which it should. Said, uh, he summoned, summoned his officers and demanded them, tell me on the side of the king of Israel. In other words, who's the traitor amongst us? Who's telling everybody my plan? And the servant said, none of us, my lord the king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, is telling the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So nowhere he goes was he safe, which would have freaked me out anyway that I thought I was in hidden places. And Elisha is still hearing everything said because of God, right? So I want you to understand that story of how angry you would be if you were So we have this going on, and then uh, the king says this in verse 13. This is where it gets really good. It's, uh, this is a man's story that doesn't turn out like a man's story. And it said, uh, Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Now remember, Elisha's hearing everything the king planning, right? So it says, he is in Dothan. Then he, he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. He's sending a military force after this one man. A whole military force. And I always think about like the infantry being outside of your door, you know, and you're like, they're all ready to get you. Send them the army after It says, uh, they went by night and surrounded the city, so they're in a hurry. They surrounded this whole city. When the servant of Elijah got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the whole city. So I want you to picture like, Picture I'm in the city right here. Like, I'm, I'm Elijah right here. Elijah's here. The servant comes out. All these walls are like the city around us being covered by nothing but troops all around, right? Troops everywhere. This guy walks out and he's like, we're in trouble. What you would do? Oh, military, if two people were out there with guns ready to shoot you or knives or swords ready to kill you, you'd be a little bit nervous. Old military detachment. Right? And he says, uh, Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? Which I probably would have too. Probably first go change your pants. That's probably what you do first. Then you come up with a plan. And Elijah says, Don't be afraid. You know why Elijah was able to say, Don't be afraid? Because he was over there. He was with God. He knew the power of the Lord. He wasn't right here. He wasn't over there. He knew the power of the Lord. Just like Paul. No matter what you put me through, I'm trusting the Lord. That's why Elijah was allowed to do it. Elisha said, hey, he's over. Like, I'm with God. I don't care. He wasn't worried about what came against him. Let me tell you something. I don't know what's coming against you, but it's not a whole army. Maybe a whole army of demons or something, a whole army of evil coming against you. But it's not an army of physical people about to kill you, right? And Elijah said, uh, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So him and his buddy are sitting here and he's like doing the math and he's like, the one, two. 
And I, I, I'm wondering if he kind of tried to count everybody out there, but I'm sure after two he realized that they did not have more. It's not it's simple math, right? We're, uh, even if you're bad at math, you know two is not greater than a whole army. Right? And he says, hey, we got more. So when you're over here in your bad spot and the world's coming up against you, and you're like, there's just too much coming against me. No, it's not. There's more of you than there are everything coming against you. Because everything has to bow at the name of Jesus. Everything. And Elijah prayed. And I always think it's like, God, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Open his eyes that he may see. Right now, some of us need our eyes to be open so we can see what God's doing and how big our God is and see the power of God instead of living as if there's no power. Some of us are living more of forms of godliness but denying the power, right? Some of us are complaining more about what we're going through instead of praising what God's going to get us through. Not Elisha. Elijah's like, it's about to get awesome. Elijah said, bring the whole army. That's cool. I mean, he already knew where they were all going. I'm sure he probably already knew at this point that they were coming. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Where was the army? Where did the army surround? Anybody remember? Around the city. Where were these chariots of fire around? It's around Elisha, right? So there was a barrier there they could not get through. A barrier. It said they're all around Elisha. It doesn't say the city. They're going to protect Elisha, not the city. They're there to protect him. And this dude, I imagine, at this point, did exactly what I would do. And it's like, all right, God, go wipe them all out. Boy, this is going to be the greatest battle ever. Movies are made of this, all right? Like, movies are made of the kind of battle that fiery chariots and soldiers can go out and just kill. I mean, that's, we wouldn't even buy into it, you know? And I, that's what I would have thought. Because I'm human, and I already have an idea of what's going to happen. But we know that ain't what happened. If you keep going on further, what ends up happening is, Elijah prays, they go blind. He takes his whole army and leads them into Israel's camp. Right in the middle of Israel's camp. And their, eye, their eyes are open and see that they are surrounded. King of Israel asks Elijah, not knowing what to do, he says, Wow, what do we do? Did we kill them? And he said, Nope, let them go. They fed them, they fed their enemies, and let them go. Sometimes we need to feed our enemies and let them go. They fed their enemies and they let them go. Now, mind you, I'm speculating this, but in my story, we would have wiped out an entire army. We would have done things my way. Somebody may have got the story back to King of Aram. They may not have. They were like, it's fiery chariots. They'd be like, yeah, you're over-exaggerating. It's just really good trained people. Then these attacks would have kept coming. But whenever the leader of this military, all these troops come back, and they're like, we're not going back. We got struck with blindness. We were led into this place. They fed us and then released us. What kind of evil is this? You know, they're, they're dumbfounded, I'm sure. They're like, we don't know what to do. And at that, a king is scared. Never did they have a trouble again with the king of Aram. There would have been a military fight, and they fought the way of the world. We don't know how long that battle was. But God's plan was bigger. God had a far better plan than mine would have been. Which I know it's hard to believe that God's wiser than I am. But sometimes we go through something and we pray, and as, as Mike was saying earlier, that we have this idea of what we want to happen doesn't happen. And it's we think something's going to happen that doesn't happen. We're like, oh man, it's easy to give up. Then. It's easy to give up when God hasn't done what we thought should have happened. But we forget to understand that God's doing something in all of it. We forget that God's plan is far bigger than our plan. So when we're, we're here and these struggles start to come, you know, you're like, all right, I can't wait to see what God does. That's what Elijah's like, ooh, man, this is about to get real. And like the other guy who's over here, he's like, what is going on? What do we got, what do we got going on? So there's a few things we could take away from that servant. 
Right? We all want to be Elisha who's way over here. And he's like, all right, man, let's do this. And God does this great work for him. And he does it exactly the way he wants, not the way we would want. Easy for Elisha because he was right here. Sometimes we're more right here. We're like, how do I get over there? And, and the servant had something happen a lot different than, than we often do because he could have went over there, but instead he, he stops and he's like, what's going on? Sometimes life gets real big. We're going through something. We don't know what to do. And we get confused. And I'm going to share a couple things real quick that we need to go through. One of them something I don't think it happens hardly at all anymore, right? He said, uh, whenever he sees this, the first thing he does, says, oh no. He says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? Sometimes you have to just do that. Oh no, Lord, what do I do? Sometimes you just have to stop when things get big and you got to say, you got to stop and say, God, what do I do? You just have to realize you can't do it. If he would have went out there and tried to fight that army, he would have died. And sometimes we go out and we want to arm up and go out and fight the world. We want to fight the things going on around us instead of stopping and saying, God, what do I do? What do I do? Sometimes you've got to stop and just pray, right? And sometimes we still can't see how powerful our God is. We can't see what he's doing or what he's going to do or if he's with us. And we've got to say, God, open my eyes for God, what are you doing? Show me what you're doing. Because sometimes we get so focused on a problem, our eyes aren't open to what's going on around us. What's bigger? We don't see that power. Fiery army. A fiery army. We have the Holy Spirit. We know we have it all the time. Fiery army. That blows my mind. I wanted to see that. And then... He doesn't see, so Elijah helps. Elijah prays for him, right? Sometimes we get to the point to where we've prayed, we've asked God to show us something, and this doesn't happen. Give up. Well, I don't know, God ain't doing nothing. Instead, he had Elijah to pray with him. Pray for him. Now think what we miss far too often in today's world because we live in a society where we can put all on our own. We live in a society that says do it yourself. We live in a society that says, you know, uh, let us show you how you you know, we, you are your own king in a society. If you can't do it on your own, there's a problem. But instead, God did something as if Paul said earlier, remember those who have taught you who they are. So as I said, if Randy tells me something, I know it's good. If I'm struggling with something, I can go talk to him. Hey, Randy, uh, this is what I got, man. Can you pray with me? And he can pray with me as Elijah prayed. Because at this moment, I may be over here in fear, closer to the edge, not seeing nothing, and Randy could be over there, and he can pray me to the point of my eyes. We have a pastor who we all know is an anointed man of God, and we can come to him and say, hey, will you pray with me? Will you help me? And now what happens sometimes, and I'm going to say this, this is what happens too often in a church with a pastor is, is on a Sunday morning somebody will come to them and be like, hey, I need to talk to you sometime. The pastor doesn't get a hold of them. And they're like, well, he didn't care. Sunday mornings are the busiest time for a pastor. They are keeping up with a lot of people. If you need a pastor or somebody to pray with you, you need to reach out to them. Don't wait for them to do it. You come to Pastor Chad on Sunday morning and he's in sermon mode and he's got to talk to 40 or 50 other people, he may forget. But if you say, hey, can we pray right now? Or if you say, hey, can I call you this week? His, his phone number's on the bulletin. Get a hold of somebody if you don't have it, we'll get it to you. Call him. Hey, can we set up a time to pray together? Can you pray with me on the phone? We have elders in the church that would love to help you. We have women, for you women, we have... We have a Sharon Taylor who I love to talk to. I know if Sharon tells me something, it's from God. Not to put her on a pedestal, but I know she doesn't usually say something unless she feels like it's a word from God. I know I have Dorothy. I have people sometimes go to Dorothy for prayer because I know she's an anointed woman of God. We have people in this church that will help you through anything. If Ann Vibbert prays for you, you're going to walk away feeling like you were prayed for. 
We're not in this alone. God created Adam and said it's not good for you to do this alone. And here you are trying to go through all these struggles in life oftentimes by yourself and you're not going to the one that who can help the people you know can help you through something can advise you. It doesn't have to just be the pastor. There's so many people here that can help you. Another thing you've got to do, though, is you've got to listen to that advice and you've got to actually implement it. There, there are things you need. But God wants us to do that. Sometimes we've got to stop. We've got to pray. We've got to ask God to reveal to us what he's doing. And sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need help. If we're going to make it through this world and we're going to get further and further over there, we can't stop right here and think we're good. Okay. So, Ryan, I, I'm about to up come up, but I just, I, uh, I felt like this is the word God had on my heart. Uh, we have all these good things that we are promised. Too often we live without them. We promise the love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. We were promised a lot of good stuff. When we're not living where we should be living over in the presence of God, sometimes we don't see, we don't get to feel those things. We go through life and we're like, why don't I feel that? And sometimes it's because we're not close enough to Jesus or sometimes there's something distracting. We cannot have a form of godliness and deny his power. If we have a form of godliness and deny his power, we will never be where we should be. We will never feel joy. We will never feel peace. It's his power that brings us. Power comes through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray and I hope I don't know what people are going through, and I don't know exactly why God gave that message. If you need prayer today, we're going to be up here. If you need help through something, we'll be here for you. If you need to just sit where you're at while Ryan worships here, we worship God. Pray right where you're at. Remember what I said. Sometimes, it's that stop, pray, ask God to show you, and then get help. Seek something. So if you've been going through something, there's no breakthrough, find something. Come up here, somebody will come to you and help you. Too often we sit there and we think God just ain't getting it. You're right, He ain't. Because we haven't turned it over to Him. We're still trying to do it on our own. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are, Lord. I thank you for speaking to us, God. Right now, Lord, I pray our hearts will be open to what you're speaking to us, Lord. I pray, God, that if anybody in here, Lord, anybody does not know you as a Savior, that they would not leave this this building, Lord, without asking you into their heart, Lord, without surrendering their lives, Lord, without repenting and turning towards you, Lord, that nobody would walk out here not knowing where they're going tomorrow, Lord. Father God, I pray right now as we go through struggles in this life, Lord, that we would begin to just say, oh no, oh no, I need your help. God, begin to open the eyes to what you do, Lord, because if we don't see what you're doing, we'll never realize you're doing a good work for us. Let us be so focused on what you're doing, God, that you would reveal it to us. We want to see your good works, God. We want to boast of that, God. Not of ourselves, but we want to praise you for what you're doing. I thank you that you gave us the gospel to spread with other people, to be witnesses in this world, Lord. If we're not doing that, Lord, I pray that you would show us why we're doing that. God, put the right people around us, God, that we know that they came from you, Lord, and that we can turn to them for help, Lord. God, we want to be... We want to live in your presence. We want to be restored back to you. We want to know that your power is bigger than all we struggle with, Lord. And all the things we face, God, your power is far bigger. And we want to live in your presence and in your power, God, instead of having a form of godliness and denying that. Help us not deny you, Lord Jesus. through the hallway and Elliot comes walking down the hallway and he's 
kind of coming around the corner there by the bathroom. I jump right in front of him, right? He's right in front of his dad. I jump in front of him. Normally, if I jump in front of him, it's spooky. He'll take off. Or he'll scream. And I jump. Instead of taking off or being scared, Elliot just looked behind him at his dad and then laughed at him. That's the way we need to live our lives. Don't let things spook us. Look right there, your father's with you. Nothing should be scaring us. We can look at it and laugh because our God is bigger. I don't know if I can whoop JT, but I doubt it. Elliot knew I could. We know God is bigger. We know nobody's going to whoop our father. We need to live that way. So I am going to close the prayer. We're going to. You can stay in worship as long as you want. Don't leave the presence of God until you're ready, until He releases you. Stay here, minister to, let God just speak to you until it's time to close. Close this prayer. God, uh, thank you. Lord, help us live as if we're bigger than the things we are going through, Lord. Let us live as when th- something tries to spook us, Lord, when Satan's trying to get to us, Lord. Let us just turn and realize that our daddy's bigger, Lord. Nothing is bigger than our Father, and we want to live that way, Lord. I pray you keep everybody safe this week, Lord. I pray that we would be closer in your presence, God. Let us fellowship with you, Lord. Let us just have that joy of walking with you through all of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.